The stories told in this radio series were drawn from a collaborative research study of alcohol-related problems in Uganda. The study focused on techniques Ugandans living in the suburbs of Kampala use to respond to cases of problem drinking. Given the relatively recent introduction of Western ideas of alcoholism and addiction in Uganda, most people sought help for their problems outside the formal medical system. They visited herbalists to buy herbal emetic therapies. They made offerings to the Lubali spirits in the shrines of Basamize. They prayed for deliverance in the Pentecostal and charismatic churches. This radio series is a collection of their stories. The stories told here are true as remembered by the people who shared them with the research team. The research team hopes that in sharing these stories with you, that you may come to learn about the wide range of techniques people use to resolve situations of problem drinking. At seven years, I was taken to the village for the very first time to visit my grandparents. My grandfather was a priest in the Anglican church, but we had a distant relative who brewed banana beer, commonly known as tonto, mixed with roasted sorghum. This tonto sparked off my struggle with alcohol addiction almost all the 32 years of my life. At this relative's home, I was given two cups of tonto. I got drunk and was carried back in hands to my grandfather's home. On seeing me, my grandmother remarked that all his forefathers were drunkards. Just lay him in the grass and the dew will clear alcohol off him. It was around 8 o'clock in the evening and I was 7 years old. My biological father had spent most of his time drinking alcohol and never had time for his family. Later, he found out that he was HIV positive and drank more and more, spending all his money. He died. Four years later, my mother died too, leaving me in the hands of my paternal uncle who lived in Kampala. This uncle is the one who we knew as our father from then. Back in the city home, my father was fond of throwing parties. I sometimes was the one in charge of clearing the glasses after the drinkings. I saw this as an opportunity, sipping the leftovers of alcohol. Later, when I was around 15 years, I was sent back to the village to stay with my grandparents. I found that the boys of my age could drink alcohol freely, and they convinced me to join them. The habit grew further that I did not pass well in my primary living examinations. Because my grandfather was a reverend, he thought that I was a disgrace to him. So he called my parents and I was put on the next bus back to the city. I was banned to go back to the village and the ban lasted until I was in senior six. In senior one, I did not drink because as a fresher, one cannot escape from school. In senior three, I joined the martial arts club and it was very easy for us to escape from school. We sometimes drank alcohol for free and then beat the sellers when they demanded for payment. We also went to watch blue movies in video halls. In senior four, I was expelled from school because someone had 
initiated me to do marijuana. I went to another school to sit for my O-level examinations, which I again failed. I retook the exams in the following year and managed to pass, although not very well. Living in the home that I was, I got a chance of drinking more alcohol. My father was earning well and therefore had a tendency of stocking alcohol in the refrigerator. When he realized that alcohol was finishing at a high speed, he started counting it within the refrigerator. I learned of it and decided to steal it from the store before uh, being put in the refrigerator. At school, I sneaked tote packs of alcohol to the dormitory and sold them to the boys at triple prices. One day, as the teacher was checking books, he found a packet of cigarettes in my book cover. I was immediately dismissed. Because of my father's connections, I was given a place in another school whose owner was a Rotarian. Here, I would have performed well in class, but my escaping to nightclubs never stopped. The Rotarian thought that I might spoil the rest of the students, and therefore dismissed me. He allowed me to come back during the time of examinations. The results weren't so good, but they were enough to take me to Makere University on private sponsorship. Before joining the university, my brother, newly returned from the United Kingdom, took me to a private rehabilitation center in Kampala. This brother had a similar problem too, but had recovered successfully. He was now the only person caring for me. As soon as I was discharged, I started drinking again. At the university, I met old friends from numerous schools that I had attended. I resumed drinking more and I had, than I had done before. I later stopped studying and went to live in the nearby ghetto. My life in the ghetto was dreadful. Cut off from my family, my brother too. I now lay on the mercy of fellow drunkards and, and alcohol sellers. I could go days without eating anything, but got alcohol from friends. Other times I did petty jobs like washing people's clothes or roasting pork and chicken. At the end of the day's work, I never earned more than 2,000 Uganda shillings. The place where I lived was so dreadful. The shacks were close to each other and most sold alcohol. The trenches were many and they did not carry water but also feces because they were few latrines. This was the place with all kinds of people but most were there to hide from the long arm of the government. There were police raids during the nights. If anything got lost, the shack owners blamed those of us who slept outside. I myself was so for several years, for several times jailed for different kinds of offenses and bailed out later. I did not sleep in any of the shacks. I could not afford any. I always waited until the shops were closed so that I could sleep with the others on the verandas. If it rained, we could be soaked. Alcohol always was the guard during the harsh weathers.
Finding food to eat was hard for me during this time. I did not have the money, and Elafa waited until food was thrown away that I picked to eat. At other times when I was lucky, kind people would share with me some of the food. But in all, my appetite for food was very limited. I always preferred a tote pack of waraji to a plate of food. The conditions made me look feeble and malnourished. My body was most times full of scars because of the fights I always had with fellow drunkards and the law enforcers. My parents took me again the same rehab. I was taken to a government mental referral hospital where I spent 90 days. During this time in the rehab, I had a sexual affair with a fellow patient, a girl who was also recovering from substances. The girl was discharged before I was. When she came back to visit, she told me that she was pregnant with twins. I was taken to the National Faro Hospital again, and when I was discharged, I went back drinking. The twins were born, and their mother had sobered, but I had not. Their mother gave me a condition that, if I, uh, that I needed to sober up first before I could see my twins. This angered me, and I drank more and more. She later switched off the phone, which I had known. So I lived miserably, thinking about my twins, whose names I did not know. It was uh, about six years that I lived in this kind of life in the ghetto. About one and a half years ago, a new outpatient rehabilitation center was started in the east of Kampala city. I was advised by a friend who is a member of the AA and decided to try it there. Before that, I had visited my mother in her office and my mother had told me a few words saying that you sober up, we shall talk the rest. At the new rehab, a counselor told me that you don't even need inpatient rehabilitation. I'm going to teach you every day. We mastered the 12 steps and had the AA meetings twice a week. It was not easy for me, walking four miles every day to and from the rehab, and I did not have food and other basics. Worse still, I had to continue dwelling in the ghetto because it was the only place that I had. I persevered amidst all these difficulties. A few times I succumbed to the pressure and relapsed. But I could realize that I was losing my future. I sobered up again. Sundays were the most difficult days because the rehab was always closed on Sundays. I tried to look for a church where I could spend the day, but it was not easy. After a few months, a man came and asked me if I could volunteer at his uh, new rehabilitation center in Western Uganda. I considered that through the night and thought that now I would have free food and shelter and I would learn a great deal of things concerning AA. I chose to go. Although it has not been a bed of roses and I once relapsed while there, my life has gradually changed. I have been attending AA outreach meetings and speaking in them. 
to change lives. The most successful one was in Kabare, my home area. Because of its success, I was given three weeks to stay with my parents. The study was carried out by Dr. China Shaz, George Mpanga, and Sarah Namirembe, and was funded by the University of Virginia, the National Science Foundation of the United States, and approved by the Uganda National Council for Science and Technology. In accordance with the requirements of the Uganda National Council for Science and Technology, they have changed the names of the people involved, as well as places and other identifying details. <laughs>